I'm living in my friend's garage at 38. Yeah. I was humiliated Mm -hmm. in a way, and it just hurt my ego. I felt like I lost myself in so many ways. Ladies in the Wild is one conversation with two completely different lenses. I'm Cherise Corbin. I'm Cecilia Corbin, and we're two sisters with a 21-year age gap. These two decades cause us to have some pretty different ideas about life. So we decided to sit down and talk about the ways these 21 years shape our perspectives to the world around us. One conversation, two lenses, because life is a wild ride. Welcome to to Ladies in the Wild. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. (laughs) Welcome to episode five of Ladies in the Wild. So what are we talking about today, Sharice? Today I want to talk about loss. It's a very difficult topic. It is. Because you have to be very vulnerable to talk about loss in your life. Ooh, vulnerability. Not fun, but I think valuable. Yes, I would agree with that. Honestly, this is a topic which we all go through at different periods in our life, regardless, whoever you are, wherever you are. Yes. I have gone through quite a massive issue with loss in my life, and I haven't been ready to talk about it until now. So why is that, do you think? I feel like time heals many wounds, Mm. and I just needed time to work through it in order to get to a place where I could talk about it mm-hmm. and not feel humiliated by it. Mm, wow. So when you think of the subject of loss in your own life, what comes to mind? I just have to lay the foundation. Let's lay <laughs> the foundation, everybody. I am going to lay the foundation to give enough backstory so that it makes sense. Backstory! I feel like I need to go back about four and a half years ago. Here, do you want me to rewind? Yes. Okay. Rewind. It's <laughs> my favorite thing. So I was living downtown LA. What? Which is my favorite area in Los Angeles. It is in the city. Yeah. Which I loved because, like I tell Cecilia, I like living in a place where... <laughs> I think that I could potentially get mugged, but I'm not actually going to. (laughs) I like that gritty, raw feeling. Long story short, I moved downtown and I got a loft in this beautiful um, 1912 old bank building. Wow. That had been renovated, but it still had all the beautiful tiles and Mm -hmm. massive windows. And I was on the penthouse level Mm -hmm. in a corner loft apartment. And it wasn't huge. It was about 900 square feet. Mm -hmm. And, oh, but I loved it. And the views of the city were stunning. And I loved my community. There are people from all over the world that live there. And Los Angeles is so spread out that you drive everywhere. But living downtown, I could walk everywhere. And Mm. so the sense of community living down there is so incredible, too, because you just walk outside to go to the grocery store and Mm -hmm. you'd meet a neighbor and the neighbor would say, hey, you want to come have coffee? And then you'd, you know, your whole afternoon would switch. And it was just such a wonderful 
beautiful environment. I loved living there. I loved everything about wow. it. I loved the restaurants and the live music and, I mean, everything. I loved walking. I loved riding the subway everywhere that I could. Mm. I loved my neighbors. I was so happy there. Mm-hmm. And for me, my home is my solace. Mm. It is my place of rest. And I just created this beautiful home for myself. And I had so many things from South Africa, so much artwork and furniture. And I made my loft my home and my haven. And I am very much somebody that loves to entertain. And I love to cook and throw parties. And so I would have people over all the time. Yes. And I had a women's group through uh, the church that I went to at the Mm -hmm. time. And so I would have that group every week. And I would always have people over to my house. And I just loved that. Mm Mm-hmm. So I just needed to lay that foundation. <laughs> foundation, hashtag laid. Yes. Um, after I had lived there for about five years, mm-hmm. there was a time in my life where I was having a really hard time finding a job. Mm. And there wasn't a specific reason for it. I don't know why. I just... To this day, you don't know why. Yeah. I looked for work and looked for work, had an agent mm-hmm. looking for work, and I just could not find a job Mm. and what what was that like at first you think okay I've got some savings it'll be okay of course I'm gonna find a job and then it still doesn't happen and the savings is dwindling away and you start to think okay but God's gonna take care of me Mm. of course a job's gonna come and I pray and I trust God nothing happens it went on for so long like there was a period of almost a year where I hardly worked and without Attaching maybe a numerical value to that. Explain how significant that is where you live just because of the sheer cost of living. Yes. So Los Angeles is not a cheap place to live. And, Mm -hmm. you know, where I lived, it was not super expensive place. Mm -hmm. It was probably medium level, you know, and then just all your bills that you have. There's Internet and there's telephone and there's your car and all of that jazz. If you have savings, you can continue for a little Mm -hmm. while. But at some point, unemployment is not enough to be able to cover your bills in Los Angeles because rent, I mean, is going to be at least $2,000 a month. Yeah. But you also make more money. So if you're working, Mm -hmm. $2,000 a month is manageable. Mm -hmm. But when you're not working. That's a lot. Wow. It just came to the point where then I really started running out of money and I had friends and our parents Mm. loan me money to be able to stay in my place. And I'm going to get emotional. That was Mm -hmm. so hard. It is so much easier to give than to receive. And accepting money from people I never asked one person for anything. All of these people that loaned me money offered it to me because they loved me. Wow. And it was the hardest thing in the world to accept. Mm. But I did. And that allowed me to stay in my place and continue Mm -hmm. on while still crazy looking for work. Mm -hmm. And I did have some interviews, but nothing was panning out. And it didn't make sense. I was like, okay, this person's going to loan me money and I'll be able to pay them back right away because, of course, I'm going to get a job. Mm -hmm. And then it just continued not happening. So it came to a place where I believe that I could have stayed in my place Mm -hmm. and I could have made it work. Mm -hmm. 
But I made the decision that the smart decision is for me to let go of my apartment. Mm. What was that moment like of saying, <sighs> I'm, I'm going to leave this apartment that I've loved and this place that has really become a home for me? It wasn't a moment. It was a decision made over a long period of time Mm. because that's the biggest chunk of bills, right, is your living expenses Mm -hmm. and all of the little expenses that come along with living. So I had been thinking about it and thought, well, that's that's the easiest way to take care of a lot of stuff right now. But uh, it was like, God, you can't want me to to lose my home. And Mm -hmm. then it was, well, if I let go of my place, where am I going to stay? What's going to happen? And it's so interesting how God uses people that you would least expect. (laughs) I have wonderful friends, and I feel like through this, I realized how wonderful some of my friends were. Yeah. I have a lot of people that help me out that don't have the faith in God that I do, um, but they love me. They just love me and they wanted to help me. So two of my friends that are married said that I could come live with them. Wow. So they were renting a house at the time. And as a part of that house in the backyard, they had a garage that had been converted into like a little one room with a bathroom Mm -hmm. kind of um, granny flat situation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even sound like such a big thing when I talk about it, but it was literally one of the hardest decisions of my life to choose to say, I need to do what's going to help me out for now and for my future. It was awful. I mean, I just had to pack up my whole house. I did it all by myself Mm. and then put my stuff into storage. The only things that I brought over to my friend's house were the clothes that would fit. They had a closet there, but half of that, you know, they use that area for storage. Mm -hmm. So half the closet was already taken up. So whatever clothes would fit. And then I had a wine refrigerator (laughs) that I brought to use as my fridge. Mm -hmm. And then my friend gave me a microwave. Okay. And then I had an electric kettle and my Vitamix. And that was it. Yes. And that was it. And so this little one bedroom granny flat does not have a kitchen or a sink or anything. I mean, it has a a bathroom with a shower, toilet, and a a sink, Mm -hmm. but no kitchen or anything. So anytime I needed to use a kitchen or washer and dryer, I would go into my friend's house. So that was super hard for me Mm. because I lost a lot. I lost my home and all of my things, but I also lost part of myself. Because there's a huge part of myself that is somebody that likes to host and entertain Mm. and have that women's group and have the people come to my house and me be able to feed them. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do any of that anymore. I lost that whole part of myself. It was just gone in an instant. Mm. That was really hard. Plus, just my ego. I'm living in my friend's garage at 38. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to them, but just I was humiliated Mm -hmm. in a way and it just hurt my ego. And I moved to a part of town where they lived that I would have never chosen to live. Mm. It's a very nice upscale area of town and it was beautiful and safe. And I didn't feel like I could ever potentially be mugged, but not be mugged. (laughs) (laughs) You lost that allure. (laughs) So it, it wasn't me at all. I never felt like I loved it or felt comfortable there or anything. So that was hard, too, because I lost that community and I felt like I lost myself in so many ways. Mm. 
And it was so hard. I'm still getting teared up talking about it. It was a really big loss in my life. It's been four and a half years since I let go of my place. And my friends moved from that house. So Mm -hmm. when they did, then I lost the garage. And so I moved out. And since then, I haven't had any place. Mm -hmm. I've just been kind of bouncing around. And I made my parents' house kind of my landing pad. So if I'm not working... I'm in Branson, and if I was working in L.A., then I have a couple of friends that have their own homes, mm-hmm. and they have have extra bedrooms, and they've allowed me to, to stay with them. Mm-hmm. And I've just kind of made that choice to not get myself into another lease mm. situation, just keep my stuff in storage for now. So let's just examine, though, because... Your attitude now is very different than it was. What has made the difference for you? Because you're still in this period of not having a home, but you just don't even approach it the same way. So tell us a little bit about what's the difference. I feel like for me, losing everything was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Wow. Because I chose to allow it to make me stronger instead of weaker because I truly believe that that was my weakest point at Mm -hmm. least ego and humility wise and in my weakness I really just stepped back and said okay God I don't have anything right now besides Mm. you you literally are gonna need to put a roof over my head yeah wow so through my weakness i allowed god to come in and take over because Mm -hmm. before then i always trusted in god i always Mm. you know loved god but i always had some bit of control Mm -hmm. over my life and i lost all control Mm. (laughs) so then god was able to really come in and be strong yeah that is so incredibly invaluable because i learned that My circumstances do not determine my character or my strength. Mm. Because if I were to focus on my circumstances, I would say, I'm 42, I'm homeless, Mm -hmm. I'm single, I don't have any kids. That's my circumstances Mm -hmm. from the outside. But I choose to have a different perspective, and I choose to focus on what I do have. Yeah. I am 42. I am not divorced Mm -hmm. with kids. I have a family that loves me so much that I get to spend a ton of time with (laughs) because I'm not tied down to rent and Mm -hmm. a, a lease. I might have lived in a garage, but... I was traveling the world. Mm. I went to Bermuda with a friend of mine. I went to visit uh, my best friend who was living in Ecuador at Mm -hmm. the time. I was able to go to South Africa. I got to travel to all these places because I had all of these air miles. (laughs) So I was literally able to go for free. Yeah. It's just amazing how... You can have nothing and then be blessed with so much. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, okay, well, what do I really value? Yeah. Do I need this house that I spend so much money on? Or is like traveling and visiting people that I love more valuable to me? I went to Australia to visit one of my other best friends. You just start to think of value in a different way. Mm. And that has been very meaningful for me as well. 
I really had to learn that my circumstances don't determine who I am. Yeah. What I have does not determine who I am as a person, Mm -hmm. which that's really hard because it kind of does until you get to a place where you don't have it anymore. Then you have to really look at yourself because who was I? I was a TV producer that had a penthouse loft Mm -hmm. downtown. I had all these friends. I had this community and then I lost it all. And it's like, okay, well, who am I really? Yeah. Who am I without all that other stuff? If things are really bad in your life and you feel like you've lost so much, whatever it is, that can steal your joy. It can steal your hope. It can steal your dreams. It can steal your passion. It can just bring in so much insecurity. You lose yourself when your circumstances are so bad because all you can see is your circumstances because it's so bad. You can't get out of it. What you got to do is focus up. (laughs) (laughs) focus up ladies and gentlemen merch coming soon stop looking at your circumstances and focus up focus up to god because that's what will save you and fight for your peace it is a fight you can't Mm. just stand there and just passively be like god help me you've got to fight for it you have to fight to have peace you have to fight To hear the truth and not the lies. Mm. Who I am is a strong, powerful, loving woman of Mm -hmm. God. That's who I am. So you have to fight for that. Mm -hmm. And it's work. And it's hard. But it's worth it. You really have had a very difficult experience that has ended up shaping your life, I would say, for the better. Yes. And really helping you cultivate deep roots in your faith, deep trust in the Lord, um, but has also given you a lot of experiences you would never have had without that to people who are in a similar situation of feeling like they're losing so much. What would you say to them? I would just say that you are not your circumstances. Mm. Circumstances come and go. Most of the billionaires in the world were bankrupt at some (laughs) point. This is true. You can't allow your circumstances to define you. You have to be defined by something much greater Mm. within yourself. And for me, that is my faith in God. Mm Mm-hmm. And until I lost everything, I didn't really find that. Mm. It's letting go of who you think you are and who you think you want to be Mm. and letting God come in and show you who you really are. Wow. I am so much stronger and more confident now than I ever was before because of what I've gone through. Wow. The confidence Mm -hmm. that I have in who I am. I can lose everything. Like a house. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't need that. I've proven that. All I need is a a little bit of clothes and a wine fridge and I'm good. (laughs) You know, literally, Mm -hmm. you just learn that you can live with so little and that that's not what really matters. What Mm. matters are the people in your life and finding out who you are. What an encouraging message to hear in a time where so many of us are grappling with how our circumstances are dramatically changing. It's so encouraging to know that really there can be a wealth of growth, even in a season where everything just feels like it's different and it's changing and we're losing so much. So thank you for sharing that part of your story today, because that is such a needed message at this point in history. Cecilia, I would just like to invite you into this conversation because 
you've experienced loss in your life as well. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you would like to focus on concerning loss? I think the situation that comes to my mind is probably just my departure from Africa. South Africa is the place that I was born. It was the place that I was raised. It was pretty much the only thing that I knew for half my life. And then in a period of three months, I packed up and I left that whole life to start a different one. There's nothing that really prepares you for the moment where you like leave the place that has always been your home and know that you will never return to it in the same way again. I think it's important to note, too, that this was mom and dad's decision, Mm -hmm. that this was a choice that was made for you. You didn't get a choice in this. That's a good point. So for the health and security of our family and just some things that our parents had been through, which they should tell that story at a different point. That's really interesting. But they made the decision to leave the mission field and move back to the United States. And as a 13-year-old still in your parents' charge, that's not something that you have control in. I could share my thoughts, but it was just... It was just to say that I had said my piece. What was your piece? Did you feel like you guys should move? I felt very torn, right? So I have seen what my family has been going through, and I understand intellectually that it's the best decision. And I think even at that age, what's logical has always been a coping mechanism for me. If I can think and understand something, if I can reconcile it in my mind, then I can turn off my feeling and my emotion towards it. And so as a 13-year-old, mm-hmm. that's just what I did. So in my brain, I thought, this is the most logical decision. And because it makes the most sense, that's right. Very rarely did I let myself question or discern how I was actually feeling about oh, it. Okay. Deep down, that was not what I wanted. I I mean, who wants to leave mm-hmm. home? Right. Who wants to leave the place that they've always known? At that point, I hadn't had very good experiences in America. So we'd been in the States for a while before the official decision to leave had yeah. happened. And while I had been in the States, it had been told to me, like, you're going to get to go home. At the end of this long saga, you're going to go <laughs> home. And you're going to be where you have always known and you're going to be in the place that you love. And so I've been building this up in my mind now for a very long period, at least 11 or 12 months. Okay. Then it becomes very clear. Actually, I don't think that's a possibility anymore. And you don't get a choice in whether you adapt because you will be thrown into a new situation. As an adult, you can say, well, I'm not leaving. Yeah. But you have no choices when you're a child. So I didn't want that, but I'd set it in my mind that that was what we needed to do. And then every once in a while, I would let myself have a feeling and I would be absolutely crushed by this idea of having to leave. The reasons that we were leaving, I was not responsible for. So I had not contributed Mm -hmm. to why we would need to leave. Yeah. And so having done nothing wrong or not being the person at fault or culpable, I still had to have my life radically overhauled because of decisions that other people made that were out of my control. It felt like you were being punished for something that you didn't even do. Yeah, in a sense. That's a good way to say it. That's a hard thing as a 13-year-old. I also feel like my grieving period was very compact because really what happened is in essentially one day, like I was told in an office, you're not going home to live. You're going home to pack. Mm -hmm. And then in a very short period, I was on a plane back to Africa 
Africa too, I think people kind of forget this. Yes, we have a large family in the United States, but those were not the people that I was raised around. I didn't meet half those people in a way I could remember Mm -hmm. until I was like, you know, until I was much older. Right. Like maybe they met me as a baby, but I don't remember that. Right. So the people who are my family, the people who have raised me, are not in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your family. Yeah, your family is gone. And now I've had the chance to make really strong attachments in the United States. So I feel secure in my life here. But deep attachments take time. I look back and I just feel like there was this period of years where I just didn't know where I belonged. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who my people were. Right. I didn't know who to confide in. I hadn't grown up around other kids my own age. Everybody that I've known really was an adult. And so I was suddenly having to make peer-to-peer relationships, and I didn't know how to do that. It sounds comical, but even as a 21-year-old person, I am still learning how to be friends with people my own age because it wasn't something that I was raised around. And it's Mm -hmm. not because I'm crazy and weird. Right. It's a skill that was never developed. It's a muscle that I didn't have to exercise. Yes. I I felt really awkward as a middle schooler and a high schooler because I just I didn't know how to be friends with other kids. I wanted to just go talk to the adults all the time because yeah. <laughs> that's where I felt safe. Right. Just trying to make it completely overwhelmed any of how I could feel about Africa. And so that I really shut away in a box until I was older because when I was older, I had made some of those attachments. I finally felt a little bit safer and a little bit more secure in the life that I was leading, that I could go back and acknowledge what felt like a very dramatic loss for me. And then I'm going to come back and in like three weeks, I'm going to move to a new place. And then in like a month, I'm going to start a new school. Oh, wow. I was saddened inside, but there wasn't time to be sad. I really felt like... If I grieve this, it's going to break me. So I just can't. I don't enjoy negative emotions in my life generally. That's something that God is growing in me. Yeah, like most people don't. I was angry and I didn't know how to deal with my anger. Anger is an emotion to this day that is still very hard for me to understand and work through. And at 13, I was terrible at processing my own anger. (laughs) By leaving, it was doing what was best for my family. So why should I be sad? You see, as a 13-year-old, this is my thought process. So you felt bad for feeling sad. I felt guilty that I'm Mm -hmm. sad. I don't think that I started understanding my feelings towards leaving Africa and grieving leaving Africa until I was 15. Wow. Probably until I was in the middle of high school. Two or three years after Mm -hmm. you had moved. I needed people to know I was from Africa because it would explain so much. Mm -hmm. Like there were just things that people questioned about me or they thought was kind of odd. And I was like, if you can understand that I'm not from here and Mm -hmm. I'm an MK and I really haven't been here this long, you'll get it. And so I needed to bring it up a lot. But then I also hated bringing it up because people didn't care. And so here's this. Yeah. And it's. You know, not even as a diss to them, but they just have no, they don't have any context for this. And what do you mean you grow up in Africa? And I experienced this, too, because it's a part of being a third culture kid, Mm -hmm. right? They'll listen and say, oh, you grew up in another Mm -hmm. country. Okay. And then they're done. Yeah. Because their world does not go past where they live. Mm -hmm. And so not as a diss to them, but it's so painful because there's this whole part of me that you don't care about. So therefore, you don't really completely care about me. Is how I felt when Mm. I was younger anyway. It was very hard to be known. It was very Mm -hmm. hard to be understood. And I compensated 
by just kind of trying to shut all of that out. So I just kind of took Africa and I put that in a little box for myself. And I thought, okay, I'm in America now. What do people in America care about? What do people Mm. in America do? What do people in America hear where I live value? And I just got behind it. I assimilated. You assimilated, right. And mom, that was even really hard for mom to watch. Did you feel like Africa was a big part of your identity? And that you lost that part of yourself. You know, it's so funny how other people interpret me being African, but I feel like an African. When you do these things in school where they say, like, write down who you are, or it's a bunch Mm -hmm. of I am statements, I always say I'm African. When I talk about my ethnicity, I say I'm I'm a black African. When I talk about my adoption story, I say I'm an African. Africa is literally in me. Africa is such a unique and majestic place Mm -hmm. all its own. It is something you will never understand until you go there. Right. And all these things that you think you know about Africa, Mm -hmm. please throw them out (laughs) so that you can learn again. Every time I get home and I step off the plane, I just feel different. Yeah, me too. So that is all I had ever known. And like that is Mm -hmm. fully in me and running through me. And now I'm in a place where nobody can understand that because even here we're sitting in a closet and you're the person who (laughs) would most understand what I'm saying and neither of us know how to put words to this experience right now suddenly my community is people who have been raised in this place their whole lives Mm -hmm. some of whom have never been outside of the state some of whom who have never been on a plane and now I'm trying to sit here and say well who is Cecilia in the middle of this you're standing here looking in the mirror and you're going I don't know what I am outside of this label truth be told we all do this I take a lot of comfort in labels you know when people say pick a lane I love when people tell me what lane to pick (laughs) (laughs) so it was so comforting for me to be able to say yes who are you Cecilia I love God So I'm a Christian, I'm an African, and I'm a missionary's daughter. And that pretty much Mm -hmm. was the entirety of what I saw in myself. Then I had to step away from those things. So I found other labels to hide behind. I'm a conservative train for a really long time, (laughs) you know, because it it was safe. In my area, that's a safe thing to say. You will win many friends. Yeah. By saying, I'm a conservative. I am a student, you know? So Mm -hmm. school became so huge to me because it was a label that I could hide behind and say, I'm a student. That's what I'm doing with my life. I'm a church kid or I'm a pastor's daughter. Our parents were on... They've always been ordained, but they were on staff at a church for a while. And so I really leaned into that and I was serving there all the time. So it was safe to say that. So I'm living now behind all of these labels and nothing is really satisfying me. I'm not feeling like who I am is really being represented. Okay. So I go to college. I mean, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. I love Evangel so much. I love you, Evangel. I'm so glad Um, too, because I went there and I never thought you would actually go there. And then you did and you love it because I I loved it. I didn't want to go because you went there for such a long time. <laughs> I was that stubborn. I thought I'm not doing that because I don't know where I, you get your stubbornness from. Well, and I just had always felt like I end up doing most things that you do. So I was like, I'm not doing it this time. Hmm. This time I'm not. I'm not going to do it. 
Um, the end of my first semester of college, I got to go home for the first time. To South Africa. To South Africa for the first time since we had left. Mm-hmm. That, like, opened my world. I think that that experience had to be at that point in my life mm-hmm. for me to be who I am sitting in this chair. Wow. Because it was the first time I could go home and I could say, no, this still is a part of me. Yeah. I don't have to forget this. This still is who I am, but I have also started a new life somewhere else. And now I get to explore who that person is with all of these things inside of her. And so now my life, I think, has begun to be translated more in terms of values than it has labels. Even the way that I phrase who I am is different. It's not like student I'm on the speech and debate team. I'm blah, blah, blah. I have a set of life values that I feel like identify me. So um, one of my life values is to edify and dignify people. When Mm -hmm. I think of myself now, I feel like I am a person who edifies and dignifies the lives of people. I feel like I am a bridge builder. That is one of the things that this experience has given me is the ability to build bridges between crazy different worlds. Being this little black African girl in the (laughs) middle of wonderful, crazy, interesting white America. And like, how do we bridge the gap? I'm not just an African. Like it it no longer crushes me for people not to understand that part of my heritage or that part of who I am. And then if I meet other people, when I go back to Africa, there are people who don't understand parts of my American experience. And I'm not crushed by that anymore. For those people that are going through a time where they're experiencing loss because of something that they did not choose Mm. that was forced or placed on them, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to somebody that is going Mm. through a loss that they did not choose? I think I first want to say that if you're hurt or you're disappointed or you're frustrated or you're angry, that's valid. Yeah. It is okay to feel those things in the midst of something that you didn't choose. Mm -hmm. Your emotion is not the problem. Your emotion is not the thing that's going to kill you. It's what you decide to do with that. It's how you decide to live after you've acknowledged your emotion. But I think it's actually very healthy and very healing to acknowledge your feelings toward the situation. As a 13-year-old, I wish that I had cried more. I wish that I had been more honest about how much it hurt because I would have become a lot closer with people in my life much quicker. It would have made my healing process quicker. And it would have pushed me into the arms of God much faster. Because when you pretend you're fine, you're just compensating and you're trying to do things on your own. I think it's worthwhile to be honest in a gracious way, too. I don't think that you have to pretend you're loving every second of it. It's just awful. I mean, if you want to do that, do it. But um, No, don't do it. It's a terrible decision. <laughs> it's not a good decision. No. But then there has to come a point where you start reconciling the situation that you're in. I don't think that it really helps us to dwell there. You will probably impede so much of what... God wants to do in your life if you set up camp in the middle of your disappointment. Yes. Ooh, that's good. You just will. It's not your fault. It probably wasn't fair, and you probably wish that it was different, but that doesn't change the reality of where you are. And so now you had one choice taken from you, but there's a choice that you'll always have, which is what you're going to do 
about this situation exactly. and what you're going to do in the middle of it. That's huge to talk about is that you have a choice. You always have a choice. And you get to decide if this is going to be the moment that is going to color the rest of your life like mm-hmm. you were talking about. Yeah. Or if this will be the moment that will start something really wonderful in your life. And then you need to really look at this season and say, like, what do I have and what can I do with that? Deciding not to just hate America has helped me so much. It has given me the opportunity to speak into situations and people's lives and meet people that I never could have if I had just closed myself off to this new place that I'd been drawn to. Mm -hmm. I want to be careful not to say everything happens for a reason because there are really things that I think happen that shouldn't have happened. Exactly. And I don't believe in a God who wishes harm on you or who is instigating Mm -hmm. your pain and your suffering. But I do believe in a God who is capable and willing to take all things and make beauty from ashes. And I Mm -hmm. do believe in a God who does not waste our pain. I think something interesting to bring out that we both talked about is not putting your identity in the place where you live or the things that you have. You can't have your identity in those things. Yeah. Because it won't last forever. (laughs) Yep. And when it's taken from you, Who are you? Who are you? So let it break you in that moment Mm. even, but then allow yourself to be built up again so much stronger because now you are who you were meant to be. Mm. Like you were saying, you know who you are now. Mm -hmm. We're still figuring that out until the day we die, hopefully. And I know there's going to be so many more difficult times and so many more times of loss in our future. But I know that the next time I experience great loss, I will be able to deal with it so much more confidently and with so much more hope than I ever would have before. Absolutely. So I think in wrapping it all up, I just want to remind everybody that you can't just look at your circumstances, that you have to To focus focus up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we love you so much. Thank you. We love you. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this has been Ladies in the Wild. Go check out our episode notes on our Instagram page, Ladies in the Wild Podcast, or on our website at ladiesinthewild.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, why not give us five stars and write a review on Apple Podcast? That really helps us to get the word out. This has been a production of CNC Think Factory. All conversations and opinions produced by Sharice and Cecilia Corbin. Graphics by Sharice Corbin. Additional writing by Cecilia Corbin. Editing by Sharice Corbin. And original music by the most amazing composer, Jason Brandt.